Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 2nd of February, 2021. This is episode 358 of Bitcoin. And we got to say goodbye to actor Dustin Diamond, who played Screech in Saved by the Bell. He died at 44 years of age, man. 44. Sometimes, I guess we just don't have the time that we think we have. So, kiss your loved ones. And always talk to them like it's the last time you'll ever see them, I suppose. Um, We've got all kinds of chicanery going on today. But I want to start with um, Nick Carter's tweet uh, sometime on, yeah, January the 31st. He says he's got a picture of the hotel at Jekyll Island and says of it, 77 years ago, some men sat in the ballroom in this hotel for a few weeks. And now... Art is bad, and all of our food is made of corn. Wow. I kind of know exactly what the man's talking about, don't you? You know, the whole Jekyll Island thing was where the Federal Reserve was birthed. And since that time, it's just been this grinding stairwell down to hell. So we've, you know, we'll, but we've we've got a chance to reverse things here. And we have been doing our very... Level best over the last however many years you got into Bitcoin to do exactly that. But yeah, all our food is made of corn and it's just kind of sick. What's funny here is Al's lacrosse replies and says, it was at this moment that I realized how far down the rabbit hole I've gone. I didn't even have to think about that statement for less than 0.1 seconds to know exactly what you mean. Yeah, if you, if, if I had read this, shit, you not. If I had read this, even after I, in 20, 2015, after I got into Bitcoin, I would not have known exactly what the hell this meant. And certainly, you know, I mean, I knew the Fed was bad, but man, I mean, how we've got a hold of fiat food and fiat art and fiat architecture and everything's cheap because money is cheap. So, I mean, if it's, Easy. If it's easy to get money to build shit, why would you build shit hard? I, I mean, honestly. So we're in that stage. Uh, we have the chance to reverse it, and that's what we're all doing. 22.3 million of us, in fact, because that's how many Bitcoin addresses were active during January, which is an all-time high. Samuel Haig writing for Cointelegraph sometime early this morning. <clears throat> January was a record month for Bitcoin's price and network activity with more than 22.3 million unique addresses actively sending or receiving BTC over that 31-day period. The milestone was spotted by crypto market market data aggregator Glassnode, who tweeted that January had seen the highest monthly number of unique addresses that are active in Bitcoin's history. 
January spike in activity beats out the previous record of more than 21 million active addresses from December 2017. Since 2017, the number of unique addresses engaging with Bitcoin has not fallen below 10 million per month, despite the increase in unique active wallets. Glassnode also noted the number of active entities on the Bitcoin network has decreased significantly since spiking into new highs in early January. Glassnode defines an entity as a cluster of addresses that are controlled by the same network entity. Bitcoin trade volume spiked to record levels last month as Bitcoin surged past 30,000 to post an all-time high near $42,000 on January the 8th before posting three weeks of aggressive range-bound consolidation. On February the 2nd, U.S.-based exchange Kraken announced it had processed more transactional volume during January of 2021 than it had during all of 2019, with $56 billion worth of assets changing hand on the platform last month. The month saw numerous cryptocurrency exchanges experience outages, with Kraken and Coinbase announcing measures intended to prevent future failures in the event of surging traffic and volume. So yeah, even Kraken went down on this whole deal. Coinbase always goes down. That's just that's just a given at this point. Kraken, it's they you gotta have some you gotta have, be experiencing some load to kill Kraken. I mean Kraken has gone down on on several occasions as well, but usually Coinbase is the canary in the coal mine as to what's going on because they always go down first. But well, whatever. Hey, Bitcoin 2021 is moving to Miami, guys. It sure as shit is. It is not going to be in California. We got a small write-up on this one. Uh, it was released yesterday. We Oh, by, by the way, this is Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, and it looks like it's a release from Bitcoin 2021 itself as the author. So we have heard from the community loud and clear. Bitcoin 2021 has to happen. And it has to be in person because we're getting kind of pissed off about all this bullshit. We were building an incredible experience in Los Angeles and we were pumped to show you everything that we had in store, but ultimately the uncertainty around Los Angeles and the post-COVID world made it impossible to host the event there this year. That's why Bitcoin 2021 is moving to Miami and they're targeting June the 4th to June the 5th. Again, that those dates are in Miami, Florida, June 4th to June 5th. So um, they go on to explain what's going on here. They, they are taking refunds if you can't get to Miami. Uh, it says, if you were unable to attend this event in Miami and have already purchased a ticket, please click here. And this is the article that you'll have to go to. And we will process your full refund. All refund requests must be made before February 22nd, 2021. So closing in on the, on the uh, uh, end of the month, you better be able to, you know, have made your decision as to whether or not you're going to pull that trigger. Okay. Just, just saying, um, <clears throat> we've got Obi Nwosu is writing this one for BTC time. Stop the game masters. You know what he's about to talk about. All's fair in love and war, but even the stock market has rules. So when the masters of the universe can so easily change those rules to squash a peasant's revolt, we know that something is going very badly wrong with the global financial system. Many commentators have argued that the orchestrated boosting of GameStop's share price is the beginning of a revolution, an uprising of the poor and the powerless against the elites of international finance. That misses the bigger story. What we've seen over the last couple of weeks has in fact been brewing since at least the 2008 crash and has been bubbling under for years before then. 
The GameStop story is merely the fruition of a largely unreported trend of ordinary people educating themselves about the rules of the game, harnessing new tools that enable them to turn these rules against their masters. Where the last century's revolutionaries were focused on seizing the means of production, today's rebels need only control the means of education to beat the rulers at their own game. That one is seriously important, so I'm going to read the sentence again. Last century's revolutionaries were focused on seizing the means of production. Today's rebels need only control the means of education. And that's what the internet brought us. And it seems very odd to me that we've been talking about how the internet has decentralized education and information well before this time. And yet somehow or another... This seems to be, this whole GameStop thing seems to be the very first instance where that education finally got enough, you know, weight behind its fist to smack a bitch out, honestly. Let's just keep it at that. The Game Masters felt that this was very much not good and changed the rules accordingly. What's astonishing, or perhaps not, is the way the Game Masters have framed this revolt the activities of redditors who have t- who's who have the temerity to gasp buy shares in a publicly listed company have been decried as market abuse by the regulators around the world including the UK's financial conduct authority good god the scramble by exchanges to suspend trading of gamestop could not be a clearer sign of panic and like so many measures taken in hectic haste It has sown the seeds of a fresh disaster for the game masters this time rather than the ordinary investor. For when we see the financial system rush to rip up the rules and rug pull us, it could not be clearer that we are not welcome to play the game. Just stop. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200 pounds. Just sit by and watch the elites continue their monopoly of the markets and their rewriting of the rules whenever it suits them. This is what the little guy is learning, if she or he didn't already know it. But whereas in 28 or 2008, we lacked any alternative and were powerless to face in the face of a system where the odds were stacked against us, now we have a means of fighting back. Bitcoin is a system where the game cannot change because the rule book is set in stone. The laws of Bitcoin are adamantian, unalterable, baked in they cannot be bent for the benefit of the big players there is no game master to enforce arbitrary rules that prevent ordinary people from fighting back against the system and winning early adopters have always known this and it's long been one of bitcoin's key attractions far and beyond the opportunity to make a quick buck bitcoin represents a truly level playing field and the satoshi drops for everyone eventually And that's where we'll see the conversation starting to shift around Bitcoin. The GameStop shenanigans is the most powerful advertisement for the failure of traditional markets and the benefit of Bitcoin. Ordinary investors are quickly cottoning on to the fact that Bitcoin provides certainty, not not of risk and reward, but of rules. Certainty of rules. Well, man, wouldn't that be nice? Fairness is all that Bitcoiners demand. And whereas other revolutions deployed the guillotine or the rifle, our most powerful weapon is education. Let the game master do his worst. It will only drive more people to begin their own learning curve and journey away from a rigged system towards financial freedom. Uh, so what I always love about reading the pieces from uh, Obi, he's got, a good, he's got a good take on this because it is, it is about education. <sighs> 
deep effing value educated his ass on what was going on with hedge fund positions and blew them up accordingly. Okay. But it's not like he just magically threw a dart at a board and just, you know, and all of a sudden the financial system crashes. It took a lot of work for deep effing value to figure out where the positions were. From what I understand, it took a fair bit of, of actual mathematical analysis to find out where to even look to begin with. And finally uncovers the fact that the, these idiots had shorted a position to the tune of 140%. Now I think, they re, from what I understand, they reloaded the whole thing up to 220% after supposedly closing their contracts. Well, here, here's my deal. They keep saying that, that uh, Citadel and Melvin Capital have lost you know, X amount of billions of dollars on this deal. I, I mean, is that verified? Can we verify that? Or, or are they literally sitting on the exact same amount of cash that they had and they're just telling us that they lost? At this point, I don't believe anybody. I, I mean, it's, it's kind of sad, but in a way, it's kind of refreshing to just sit back and go, I don't, I don't know. They say they lost $3 billion or, or $5 billion. Did they? Did they? Is that provable? Is there an FCC filing that I can point at that says, see, they actually did lose this money on GameStop. All right. So <clears throat> take everything you hear with a grain of salt. That's what I tell my kids. Now, this person is not taking anything with a grain of salt. And this is the one point that that I'm glad about that senator to launch financial innovation caucus to educate lawmakers on crypto. This is Coin Telegraph Samuel Haig. Cynthia Lummis, the first U.S. senator to own Bitcoin, <clears throat> well maybe, will launch a financial innovation caucus to educate her fellow senators about Bitcoin and crypto assets. Uh, she's the first senator in the history of the United States to own Bitcoin and has revealed plans to launch a financial innovation caucus to educate her fellow senators on cryptocurrency and digital assets. Appearing on Anthony Pompliano's podcast on February the 2nd, Lummis announced her intention to establish the caucus, stating, quote, We hope to use it as a springboard to educate members of the U.S. Senate and their staff about Bitcoin specifically, but about other opportunities for cryptocurrency and financial innovation and blockchain. Ah, oh, God, Cynthia, stop. <clears throat> Lummis stated the caucus will first work to fight the false narrative about digital assets and crypto being used as for money laundering, noting that research from blockchain forensics firm Chainalysis indicates cryptocurrency-related crime is smaller than criminal activity with cash. Lummis noted she recently spoke with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, whose recent comments regarding the use of crypto in illicit financing caused concern regarding an incoming regulatory crackdown to reverberate across the crypto sphere. Lummis sought to quell the crypto community's... God, I, the word crypto is making me sick, guys. Sorry. Uh, concern, <clears throat> Lummis sought to quell the community's concerns about Yellen. Describing the Treasury Secretary as having an open mind about the thing. However, the Senator stated it's going to take a lot of work to get where we can have an open dialogue that is free from the clutter of seeing this knee-jerk reaction to the concern that all crypto is subject to criminal activity. 
quote, regulations in this space need to leave room for innovation, end quote. Senator Lummis purchased Bitcoin during, wow, 2013 to 2014 and has since touted Bitcoin's utility as a store of value. She likened Bitcoin to a permanent mineral trust fund that she oversaw while working as Wyoming state treasurer during the 2000s. Quote, I was straight state treasurer in Wyoming during the first part of the 21st century, so I was always looking for a store of value. We have in Wyoming permanent funds that are based on extracting minerals and oil and gas from the ground. We take a severance tax from minerals and invest it in a permanent fund, she said. Quote, the concept of that permanent mineral trust fund is that when the minerals are gone, we still have revenue left over because we invested the proceeds and continue to invest them in a diversified asset allocation. Bitcoin reminded me of our permanent mineral fund, end quote, Uh, continuing with another quote. There will only be 21 million Bitcoin mined, and because it is a finite resource, I see it as a very good store of value, Lummis concluded. So our lady upon the hill doing the Lord's work here. Now, with this whole stock market thing and exchanges halting or severely limiting access to trading, such as Robinhood, TD Ameritrade, eToro, during the whole this whole GameStop thing that's going on, we have Switzerland. All right, so here's this one. Now it's about tokens, but I mean, come on. At least they're at least they're doing something that 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 may have a positive impact on things going forward, right? Especially when it comes to just general plebs being able to trade and trade freely to, and and not have the rug pulled out from under them or the rules changed over you know over them like Obi was talking about Switzerland's token securities law ushers a change for digital assets <clears throat> regulated crypto bank Siba and Signum each issued tokenized securities to mark the occasion this is uh, Coindesk's who is it oh Ian Allison Writing yesterday, Switzerland now lets tokenized securities trade on a blockchain with the same legal standing as traditional assets. The new law went into effect on Monday. Swiss lawmakers decided not to create a completely new regime, but adapted legislation to graft specific features of distributed ledger technology onto the existing legal framework. The DLT amendments recognize tokenized securities as a new class of asset whose legal ownership rights are automatically transferred via the blockchain to each new investor. Quote, previously you had uncertified rights that there had, hold on, previously you had uncertified rights there that had to be assigned. And a lot of smart people were looking at how that could be done on chain, said Alexander Vogel, a partner at Swiss law firm, Mayor Lustenberger Lachanel. Quote, with these new registered rights, it's clear that you have legal certainty. If they are properly transferred on a blockchain, the new owner who holds them in his or her wallet is definitely the owner of these rights. So it's a bearer instrument. The law further cements... Switzerland is one of the most advanced jurisdictions in the world for crypto. Only Singapore is at a similar level. That said, it's not going to be a free-for-all. Obtaining the necessary license from Swiss regulators takes time and effort. Oh, God. Switzerland's two regulated crypto banks, Singham and Siba, 
chose the mar to mark the occasion by issuing tokenized securities. Announcing today, Signum tokenized a range of premium investable wines from Fine Wine Capital AG. Meanwhile, SIBA is issuing a Series B equity share as Ethereum ERC-20 tokens. Jesus, God. The move will allow for seamless connectivity for trading and liquidity on future internationally recognized digital liquidity venues, the firm said in a press statement. Speaking about the new legal wrapper for tokenized assets, Matthew Alexander, head of digital corporate finance and asset tokenization of SIBA Bank, said, quote, it's a genuine blockchain-based digital twin of a traditional security. Uh, Switzerland's strategy is to provide a bridge into this new digital economy and the transition from traditional fiat ways of banking and security assurance, end quote. Uh, Alexander <clears throat> said any issuer in Switzerland could take advantage of the new laws. That includes Swiss banking major UBS, for example, which issues its primary securities on SIX, the country's national stock exchange. Presumably, the DLT law will fuel the fire under the sixth digital exchange, SDX, to get its services up and running and ready to cater to this emerging market. So SDX, this is a quote, the digital twin of the Swiss stock exchange is still under construction and has been for a long time, said Seba's Alexander, but it will then host these digital twins and that whole transition is coming. Yeah, soon, TM. Still, SDX could be missing a trick if it doesn't get its skates on. Both Signum and Seba have ties to Singapore and will operate as market makers on DBS's bank's new digital exchange, which is now up and running, MLL's Vogel, agrees or agreed Switzerland's new DLT legal underpinnings would look attractive in Singapore as well. Quote, it will definitely give more legal certainty. So even though it's traded in a foreign jurisdiction, you would still look at the underlying right for investors to have the confidence to invest in that asset. <clears throat> End quote. So here's my problem is that it's on, it, some of these things are, are on Ethereum and it's almost as if, <clears throat> If it's almost as if that they don't know what's going on with Ethereum 2.0, and that's a real problem. I mean, a huge problem. I mean, how are these things going to transfer over if, and that's a huge if and when, and probably not when, Ethereum 2.0 cranks up? Is it possible that these types of things that are occurring are going to cause Ethereum to not be able to transition to proof of stake is my largest question that I have about this whole thing. Because if it, if, if you put too many, if you shoot too many spikes in the ground and chain your ship to it, eventually that thing is going to stop moving and is going to sit right where it is. And these guys are, you know, this, this new story out of Switzerland to me looks like dropping a very big anchor, right? So, I mean, because it's like, like at one point or another, what are they going to do? All of a sudden realize that the token isn't being serviced anymore on a, on an actual blockchain and is in proof of, you know, a type of proof of stake. Did they know? Are they making statements about what this sharding thing, if it ever comes to pass, will be? I mean, there's so much, there's so much Rube Goldberg technology going on in the shift from proof of work in Ethereum to uh, Ethereum 2.0 that it's it 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 literally makes the way that Ethereum works now seem simple and it's not that's the thing that that's well that's one of the reasons why bitcoin is the simplicity of the system is of central concern to me it needs to be simple that's how you don't change rules 
right? So I don't know. That's the thing is that I don't know if they un fully understand what it is that they're getting into when they start pulling this shit about issuing, you know, tokens on uh, an ERC-20 token on the Ethereum blockchain as it stands today, because that shit's about to rug pull, bro. Right? So, but still, the precedent is what's important. With all the chicanery that we've seen with the, with the GameStop and Bloodbath and beyond and the, that, the whole saga is that if you don't own the asset, if you don't bear the legal right to the asset, as, asset upon your person, then you don't own that. We've seen that demonstrated in spades over the last week and a half, right? So there, there you go. Um, okay, Carson Block suspects hedge fund coordination and short squeezes. This is interesting to me because it's, it, it almost seems as if, well, let's get into it. We'll talk about it here in a second. <clears throat> This is Bloomberg. Who's writing this thing? Eric Schatzer is writing this for Bloomberg. Uh, Carson Block, the activist short seller famous for targeting Chinese frauds, recognizes familiar behavior in the rally of shares such as GameStop Corporation. To him, the parabolic move looks less like the product of Reddit-driven retail orders than a short squeeze by hedge funds targeting other hedge funds. You see where I'm going with this. If you don't, we'll get to it. I've wondered, is there coordination with these hedge funds? What's, what constitutes coordination? Did they cross the line? This could be interesting, end quote. For the moment, it's an unproven theory, but if Block is right, what seemed like a history-making retail uprising last week was just as much a convenient smokescreen for internecine hedge fund warfare. The list of casualties in that fight is growing from the severely wounded, such as Melvin Capital Management and Maple Lane Capital, to include funds run by firms ranging from David Einhorn's Greenlight Capital to Renaissance Technologies. What's not clear yet is who profited on the other side. <clears throat> Block said his firm, Muddy Waters Capital, was the victim of what he thinks was a short squeeze by hedge funds in shares of GSX TechEDU, or TechEDU, uh, Incorporated, in the weeks leading up to the GameStop frenzy. As a result of that and similar situations, he had to hire a full-time trader to monitor the stock options market and adjust positions to more actively manage risk. Quote, it's a trading game. It's flows driven. It's technical. We're going to do what we need to do to survive, he said. Unlike many short sellers, Block is decidedly public with the names of companies he believes are scams and which he's betting against. He typically publishes the research underpinnings his short thesis and makes it available on Twitter. More recently, he started releasing videos on Zeros.tv. As he sees it, that effort to expose wrongdoing has a social utility and should set him apart from the short sellers under attack on Reddit. He scoffs at the suggestion that he's part of the Wall Street establishment. If he were such an insider, he asked, why would Goldman Sachs Group Incorporated and Credit Suisse Group AG have turned down his business? <clears throat> Quote, when we get tagged as establishment, you can't be more inaccurate than that. It's almost funny if we weren't for the, if it weren't for the fact that we now have all these people trying to troll me, he said. Mm -hmm. What Block agrees with is the growing sense that financial markets are overvalued and predominantly small investors will be hurt when the bubble finally bursts. He faults the Federal Reserve for pumping in too much liquidity, allowing for too much credit extension and too much leverage. Quote, we need a combination of 
monetary and fiscal policy that makes sense or else we're just stuck in this building a bigger powder keg to explode again. It always transfers wealth from the many to the few. All right, so what can you imagine that I'm going to say about this shit? How fucking convenient, right, that it's other hedge funds that's doing all this. Couldn't possibly be the guys over, you know, at Wall Street Bets. Couldn't possibly be the pleb retail investor. I view this as part of the narrative, and I do think that he's part of the establishment, and I think he's working to cover the establishment's embarrassment at this point by saying, no, no. It's not the little guy with Robin Hood. Of course not. Of course not, Carson. It has to be the other hedge funds doing this. Only you guys can make these moves. Only you guys can do it, right? It can't possibly be the unwashed, uneducated, covered in shit masses groveling at the foot of the fucking king for food. No, can't be them. It has to be other hedge funds. Has to be. In fact, yeah, I, I'm, call, I'm sorry, guys, but I'm calling full, full bullshit, full stop. I don't think that it's other hedge funds. I think other hedge funds may have gotten into the play once they figured out what the hell was going on, maybe like rework some of their positions in a, in a way that didn't kill their ass to take advantage of what was going on on the street. But I don't think for a second that this was initiated nor completely the fault of other hedge funds. I think it was the guys over at Wall Street Bets. I think it was the unwashed, uncleaned, uh, uneducated masses groveling in the street. I think that that's what it really was, right? Otherwise, why would all the retail outlets throttle their shit in a way that is clearly criminal activity? Selling, I mean, selling a, a user's position without their authorization, nor permission, nor knowledge. Cutting off buying, but still allowing selling. And when buys did come back, you were able to buy one share at a time. And I don't know if that was in a 24-hour period, but yes, there were 50, 50 equities that Robinhood had throttled to the point where you could only buy between one to five, depending on the actual equity itself. Of that particular uh, of that particular equity, but but selling no, you could sell, and if you didn't sell, they'd sell it at they'd sell your ass for you, right? But no, according to Carson Black, it was or Block, it was other hedge funds who did. Oh bullshit, Carson, let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities. Oh, God, commodities are, are screaming, dude. Oil is up 2.5%. Brent North Sea is up 2.3%. So Brent North Sea is going to cost you getting close to 60, man. $57.68 for a barrel of Brent North Sea. Natural gas up 4.74%, almost back to $3 for 1,000 cubic feet of that. Gold, however, is down. Actually, most of the metals are down. Gold is down almost a full point, back down to $1,846.90. I'm sure Peter Schiff is not waking up to good news today. Silver is down even worse. We'll get to silver here in a sec, trust me. But it's down 6%, back down from its, it topped out at right around 30. It's down to $27.63. 
Platinum is down 2.36%. Copper is down a full percent. Palladium actually rose three quarters of a percent. Uh, indices look like they're all in the green. Dow futures is going to come in trading up 0.77 to the upside. S&P futures 0.81 to the upside. NASDAQ futures 0.7 to the upside. And S&P mini to the upside by 0.83. Let's talk about real money. Bitcoin rallying a little bit. $34,787.76. Is that my low? I'm going to go ahead and call that. No, it's not my low. Simex is my low. $34,753. Whereas GDAX has the high over uh, at $34,836. So eh, a little bit of arbitrage room if you want to go through all that bullshit 321,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours that's about 13,500 transactions per hour on average with over half a million BTC being sent in that 24 hour period a little higher today thank god <clears throat> 22 point or oh, sorry 22 point 22,700 BTC being sent every hour on the hour 1.7 BTC is the average transaction value, while the median transaction value gets a boost 0.027 BTC, or about 940 bucks. Block times are still high, 10 minutes and 45 seconds, 1 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, and 142 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. Ooh, hash rate has fallen by 10.5%. We are back down to 131.64 exahashes per second. What did Doge do? Doge is back where Doge always is. Zero point. Oh, no. That, okay, yeah. Well, no, no. It's actually still up, hovering at three cents. 3.3 cents a Doge. And at 40,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, it beats uh, BSV. Wait, no. The, oh, no. It's, be, it's not beating BSV. It's beating BSV by market cap as well as Ethereum Classic, but not, uh, but not by transaction. Although... It should be noted that Bitcoin SV has fallen in their daily transactions to 277,000 transactions per day, right? That's well below Bitcoin's 322 transactions in the last 24 hours. See, remember Bitcoin SV was saying they could do all these transactions. <clears throat> Basically, that those transactions were driven by bots that were feeding the blockchain with weather data as a transaction. And they would have, you know, consistently 650 to 700,000 transactions per day. And they'd look and point at us and say, see, 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 we have more transactions. Oh, bullshit. Not when they're fake. And we're seeing them fall off a cliff. Bcash, not much better, 285,000 transactions. Litecoin, which probably has more, you know, oh, God more street cred for lack of a better term here at at 80,000 transactions probably has more meaningful financial activity than Bcash and BSV put together but there you go hey Clark what's what do you got we got 44,000 transactions and they will have to step on to 74 blocks to clear we have stolen 5.41% of gold's market cap and one bitcoin will buy you 18.8 ounces of gold uh, full market capitalization for Bitcoin is $650.4 billion. Nice. Uh, Clark's showing a price of $34,935. There are 18,617,069.15 BTC in circulation at this time. 
There is 1,062 BTC in the Lightning Network. That's $37.1 million worth of capacity run over 8,592 nodes with 37,502 channels. Percent of Tor capacity for the Lightning Network has increased a tick. 52.9% of Lightning Network is now run over Tor. And that has a capacity of 561.55 BTC being run over 3,280 Tor nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Let's start this off with old man cries about young men. Be prepared to lose 80 to 90% of it. And if it's still worth it, then have at it. But the biggest loss of capital here will be the human capital of young men who are sitting and staring at their phone and watching the price of Bitcoin or the price of AMC. And ask yourself, would you be better off taking that one, two or three hours a day and working out, trying to form relationships with mentors, with, with, with romantic relationships, with people at work, getting great at something so you can be the person on the other side of the trade. The greatest loss in, in capital here is, is from young men who are more prone to gambling addiction, who don't understand uh, the markets. I think we are setting ourselves up similar to how there's a ton of young women out there who became very depressed by sitting in their rooms looking at Instagram self-cutting and self-harm skyrocket. I think you are going to see uh, uh, an explosion in young male depression. And I think a lot of it is going to be reverse engineered to apps that convince you you're part of a movement or physically addict you to your phone. Ask yourself, would your time staring at Robin Hood be, be better spent somewhere else? That is the real capital destruction that is taking place here. I speak often about narrative, and that's narrative, people. That's what I mean by narrative. <laughs> it's just sad listening to this guy just essentially illustrate what's going on on Wall Street right now. It is a scramble to to somehow or another discredit everything. I got the, the hedge fund guy, uh, Mr. Carson Block, telling us that it can't possibly be retail that's doing doing all this damage it has to be other hedge funds because god forbid they're the only ones that know how apparently and then this guy who's like honestly if i were to send that video to a bunch of you know to feminist twitter he would literally be harangued as a racist a nazi a trumpist uh you name it dude you you know how this you know how the story goes you know, like it's when narratives collide, honestly, but still this just the it's hard to wrap my head around this guy as a grown man sitting there and throwing this kind of bullshit out. If it doesn't make you laugh, I'm sorry, but they're they're very well. They're very well. Maybe something wrong with you. Now, here's some here's a little bit of a <clears throat> uh possible even further narrative on the situation. And this is where we get into what's going on with silver. If you were watching silver over the weekend and yesterday, you noticed that silver is moving big time. Um, let's see what Liam Frost has to say about it from Decrypt.co. Wall Street Bets is not trying to short squeeze silver, and here's why. This was written yesterday. 
Notorious Reddit group Wall Street Bets is not trying to pump the price of silver, according to a post published today. This comes in the face of reports claiming the group was going to give it the GameStop treatment. On the contrary, WSB is actually against creating a silver squeeze because many big hedge funds have long positions on it, not short ones. Quote, this is BS and the straight up, and is straight up the antithesis of who we are, the post said, adding, by buying silver, going long on silver, you would be directly putting money into the pockets of the exact hedge funds on the other side of GME. The hedge funds are long silver, not short silver. And there's a tweet here from Nathaniel Whitmore, who I really respect. It says, on Twitter, everyone is saying Wall Street Bets is going after silver next. On Wall Street Bets, there are only three posts on silver in about the top 50, and they're all warning everyone to stay away. Someone is orchestrating a serious disinformation campaign. Oh, interesting narrative. The entire principle behind boosting the price of GameStop was to liquidate the hedge funds that were shorting it, causing them to exit the trade at huge losses. The ultimate purpose was to send a message to Wall Street, which it certainly did. But when it comes to silver, the exact same hedge funds are betting its price will go up, so any price boom will play into their hands. While Reddit is a pseudonymous platform, which means that no single message can be considered an official statement from the WSB, the post in question has already been upvoted over 64,000 times and received roughly 500 community awards. This could suggest that it somewhat reflects the overall community's sentiment. Further, the post claimed that the source of the reports claiming WSB was behind a silver rally was misinformation put out by the hedge fund themselves. Quote, this squeeze that all these people are referring to is definitely not a squeeze at all and is an artificial hedge fund driven attempt to reduce the GME momentum and we should all be cognizant of the media manipulation and happening everywhere, including right here, he summarized. But while WSB isn't pushing for a silver squeeze, there has been some movement in the silver markets. On Thursday, a number of buyers indeed flooded iShares Silver Trust, pumping the price of the metal up by 6.8%, which they've now lost, by the way. The volatility on the silver market that ensued was mind-boggling, breathtaking. It's shocking, really, Bloomberg cited commodities market consultant James Gavilan. However, even if the WSB really wanted to short-squeeze silver, which they apparently don't, It would be not nearly as easy as pumping GME since the two market sizes are simply incomparable. For example, the shenanigans shenanigans around GameStop stock resulted in its market cap growing from $1.2 billion at the start of 2021 to $24.2 billion last week. At the same time, silver's total market cap amounts to around... $1.63 trillion today, meaning that Redditors would require a lot more money to move this giant, not that the challenge would daunt WSB. I don't, honestly, I don't think they're interested, but again, you know, we've got narratives coming out. It's, I don't know. It's a war of information at this point. I think, I, I think that that's where we've, I think that that's where we've fallen to, but remember, Reddit now has somewhere, actually, I'm going to go check. I want to go check Wall Street Beats and refresh this page and see if they've gotten to 8 million degenerates yet. They are at 8.2 million degenerates. That is up point, or let's just say this, that's up 300,000 from yesterday. From yesterday, right? 8.2 million people. At this rate, 
when they start, if they hit 50 million, then nothing, then 1.6 trillion may not be safe. I don't know, man, but we'll have to, you know, again, we'll have to wait and see about all that. Uh, John Carvalho, uh, Bitcoin error log on Twitter, put out a, uh, uh, a screenshot of his Google search for Guggenheim Bitcoin. And here's the results, or at least the, I, yeah, the top three results are this. A Coindesk article that says Guggenheim CIO says Bitcoin may have topped out for now. Another Coindesk article that says Guggenheim CIO says institutional demand not there to sustain Bitcoin. And then news.bitcoin.com, that's Roger Ver's outfit, says invest, investment manager Guggenheim has some advice as BTC sheds billions. And then right after that, he replies to his own, uh, his own post saying with a block port uh, tweet that says Guggenheim's proposed SEC filing to buy $50 million in Bitcoin via Grayscale Bitcoin Trust has officially just become effective and then gives a screenshot of the head, uh, the uh, top sheet of that uh, 45A FI combined document. And sure enough, if you look down there on January 31st, 2021, pursuant to paragraph A1, so it is now it is now active. They are now able to do whatever the hell it is that they want to do. We shall see. I mean, uh, but <laughs> the fact that Guggenheim, I'm telling you, it's a war of information. It's a war of FUD. It's, it's a war of narratives at this point. I mean, Guggenheim comes out with all these statements saying Bitcoin bad. And then what do they do? They turn around and position themselves in a half a billion dollar play on Bitcoin with a grayscale Bitcoin trust. I mean, dude, it's just embarrassing at this point. So it's no wonder that we have the whole Elon Musk thing. Now, I was telling you yesterday, and you saw it over the weekend, unless you you weren't you know on Twitter or any kind of news sources, that Elon Musk dumped uh, the Bitcoin hashtag into his bio as the only thing in his bio. And as of yesterday afternoon, it was still there as the only thing in his bio. I don't, I haven't checked this morning, but he went on to Clubhouse in an inter, uh, apparently an hour long interview, and uh, Joe Rogers is going to tell us a little bit about that. He's writing for BitcoinMagazine.com. Elon Musk, quote, I am a supporter of Bitcoin. Uh, last week, Elon Musk uh, added Bitcoin to his Twitter description and set Bitcoin Twitter off on an eruption of good vibes. Now he has publicly voiced his support for Bitcoin on audio chat app Clubhouse. Late last night, Musk joined a clubhouse led by the team at venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz to discuss all things of interest. He discussed the probability of a manned mission to Mars. <clears throat> how his team had monkeys playing video games via Neuralink and more importantly, made a public endorsement of Bitcoin. He shared a story of how a friend of his had a Bitcoin themed cake made and fed him a piece of it in 2013. Quote, I think Bitcoin is a good thing. I am a supporter of Bitcoin. I'm late to the party, but a supporter. I think Bitcoin is on the verge of getting broad acceptance by conventional financial people. He said, uh, aside from his glowing words for Bitcoin, Musk held no punches back in welcoming Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev to the clubhouse chat, calling him Vlad the Stock Impaler. Andreessen Horowitz is an investor in both Clubhouse and Robinhood, and it would stand to reason that it wants to facilitate some redemption for Robinhood among, among its users following the company's recent actions in the Wall Street Bets saga. 
Ultimately, many Bitcoiners saw this endorsement from Musk as a coup for BTC. It also served as another great example that everything is recorded and scrutinized, even chats on Clubhouse. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have welcomed Vlad. Uh, that dude needs to be in prison, dude. I'm sorry, but I mean, I know I shouldn't be saying that as a Bitcoiner, but I mean, honestly, prison, you know, in the old days, prisons were there for a reason. You killed somebody or took their shit, you should probably go to jail for a while so that you can ruminate on how you're being a bad human being. Now we've turned it into a private <clears throat> into a private situation that requires government contracts to guarantee 98% occupancy rate, which is why you see cops arresting everybody hand over fist. Am I wrong? Prove it. Okay. Decrypt.co's Jeff Benson's got this one. National digital currencies primed to flop say researchers. This was written on February the 1st. China and the Bahamas are already piloting central bank digital currencies, digital versions of their national currencies. The European Central Bank is surveying the public about a digital euro, and most countries' central banks are actively researching using digital currencies for payments. Maybe they should just stop say a pair of researchers who argue in a paper released today the whole enterprise of creating substitutes for digital cash is at risk at failing because it lacks an obvious justification. <laughs> Writing for or European uh, policy analysis publication VoxEU, Peter Bofinger and Thomas Haas of the economics department at University of Würzburg in Germany argue that central banks have been too focused on CBDCs as a medium of exchange when private banks already offer benefits such as deposit insurance and a wide variety of products. Instead of CBDCs that act as a medium of exchange, they argue for supranational digital currencies that act as a store of value in the international system. First things first, the definition. A CBDC can be seen as a deposit with a central bank that is used within the framework of existing real-time gross settlement payment systems, writes Bowfinger and Haas. However, it can also be understood as an independent payment system that operates in parallel to the existing system using deposits held with the central bank. That can be further subdivided into balances with a central bank that can be used for payments or as a means of payment and into retail or wholesale CBDCs. Looking at the design, most research, the authors find that it will be difficult for central banks to launch a CBDC without interfering with the market. Quote, they have to show that the objectives which they pursue with CBDCs are currently not satisfactorily met by the private providers, writes Bowfinger and Haas. And even if public goods like financial stability or stability of the payment system are not optimally met, it is not obvious that CBDC is an adequate solution. Moreover, they ask, why would a citizen want to switch from a private bank or payment system to a nationally run one when they already have insurance on their deposits? Surely not because a central bank can offer more products than a private bank competing for customers, they assert. From the author's perspective, perhaps the best type of CBDC is the one hardly any central bank is talking about out of fear of disintermediation. That would be a CBDC not meant for facilitating payments, but for storing value. Quote, the demand for a store of value CBDC would come from firms and large investors with bank deposits of more than 100,000 100, euros, which would be bailed in in the case of a bank restructuring, they write. From the user perspective, this demand would depend on the interest rate for such deposits. Central banks could auction store value deposits, which would give them a perfect control over their amount. 
Last, they contend, CBDCs are too small in scope in an international economy. The benchmark is set by PayPal, (laughs) which is the elephant in the room of global payments. (laughs) Jesus. It shows that instead of national schemes, they can only operate with national currency and can only make transactions with system-specific accounts. The solution must be supranational with a multi-currency operability and an openness to payment objects that are not system specific. The authors end with a warning to central banks, quote, if central banks stick to their current approach, the risk is high that CBDCs will become a gigantic flop. All right. End quote. There's one thing that worries me about the CBDC thing. Actually, there's many things that, that, and they don't really worry me, but these are the things that I see. And the one that I see is the destruction that the private banks will suffer because of it. Now, that won't be Wells Fargo, and it won't be Bank of America. No, no, no. It'll be all the small banks that are in your city, your uh, maybe even the federal credit unions. I don't know. But I know that there would be there would be blood running in the streets from banks that, like the bank that's up here, one of the, one of the, Local banks that's up here in the Panhandle in Texas is called Happy State Bank. They would go out of business. They would be put out of business and all their funds would have to be transferred over to the Federal Reserve as a CBDC were were to come online. What are you going to do with all those people? You know, it's like, I mean, how many lawsuits are going to be filed by the owners, the board of directors and presidents and whatnot of all these little banks? Because they're not just going to sit by and say, okay. You know, I built I built this business for 25 years. I'll just I'll just go buy now, because a CBDC would do that. It would circumvent the need for me to run down to the corner Happy State Bank and go do some banking, right? I mean, and it, I mean, uh, unless they just all turn into mortgage lenders, you know, and and loan officers for business loans, auto loans, house loans. Yeah, I mean, I guess they'd be able to retain that particular arm, but everything else just goes bye bye. That well, they'd still retain their safety deposit boxes, and I guess they could make a you know a little bit of money off that. But honestly, they're not going to make any money. They're going to lose money. It's just, I mean, it's a cutthroat business as it is. Last thing that private banks need right now is to have to compete with compete with their own central government. I don't know, man. It's a bad deal. Just like IBM discovered blockchain was a bad deal because IBM blockchain is a shell of its former self. After revenue misses, job cuts. <laughs> Quote. There is really not going to be a blockchain chain team any longer, said a person familiar with the situation. This is Coindesk's Ian Allison writing this. IBM has cut its blockchain team down to almost nothing, according to four people familiar with the situation. Job losses at IBM escalated as the company failed to meet its revenue targets for the once fetid technology by 90% this year, according to one of the sources. Quote, IBM is doing a major reorganization. There is not really going to be a blockchain team any longer. Most of the blockchain people at IBM have left. IBM's blockchain unit missed its revenue targets by a wide margin for two years in a row, said a second source. Expectations for enterprise blockchain were too high, they said, adding that IBM didn't really manage to execute despite doing a lot of announcements. That sounds like a lot of shit in this space. Quote, our blockchain business is doing well, thank you. Holly Haswell, a director of public relations at IBM, sent via email. We have realigned some leaders and business units to continue to drive growth. What we do, And we do that every year, 
end quote. Yeah, you better put a tie on that suit speak, pal. A former IBM staffer who has been working on enterprise blockchain, however, said that they there have been a succession of resource actions, which basically means firing people based on business performance as opposed to personal performance. Quote, I would wager less than 10% of the team is still working on IBM blockchain, says the ex-IBM source. Quote, there have been tons of reorgs. Pretty much everyone is gone. IBM is now 100% focused on hybrid cloud, so everything that doesn't support that is deprioritized. IBM has pumped a lot of money into blockchain since 2016 when it began talking about the technology's potential to transform the way industries do business. If IBM's blockchain innovation work is now confined to some R&D and does not even extend to consulting, as one of the sources said, this sounds like an ominous note for the enterprise blockchain space in general. Perhaps particularly for the Hyperledger collection of blockchains to which IBM was a key contributor. In its recent full year results statement, IBM as a whole reported revenue fell reported that the revenue fell six percent on an annualized basis. Looking back to its twenty seventeen financial statement, IBM called itself the blockchain leader for business. All mention of the technology is now absent from company statements. Who'd have thunk? Right? I mean, it what couldn't have possibly been us unwashed uneducated groveling masses in the street who were telling IBM this is a stupid idea when they first mentioned it back in 2016 and I was one of those people the whole thing was stupid man i mean I, there's just going to there's going to be blood in the streets on this i'm telling you man this is why bitcoin and grayscale may jumpstart the next phase of the bitcoin bull run tomorrow and in fact it is actually tomorrow because william suberg wrote this 2 hours ago for coin telegraph uh, Bitcoin may have traded sideways for much of the last month thanks to Grayscale, but the status quo will soon change. According to data from on-chain analytics resource CryptoQuant, the price premium of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust just hit its lowest since April 2019. Grayscale has made the headlines frequently this year thanks to record BTC purchases and record demand, but despite the inflows, uh, Bitcoin has not continued to gain. As February begins, the trust's purchase premium is around $6.50, having previously been as high as 40 bucks over the course of its existence. This is historically coincides with meandering price direction, while large premiums equal large upside moves for Bitcoin. In late de December, a de dedicated article in technology magazine Hacker Noon explained the phenomena as being tied to releases of GBDC shares, which have been subject to a customary lockup. Once they are released, Bitcoin tends to shoot higher as customers put their profits back into BTC, while the time preceding such events corresponds to a lack of price action. Quote, what's important to know is once these higher prices and premiums are realized after an unlocking, price goes on to consolidate. This lets the premium shrink again before its next, next unlocking event, Hacker Noon summarized. With the next unlocking set for February 3rd, which is tomorrow, anticipation should be building for a continuation on the Bitcoin bull run. Quote, this, voids, <clears throat> this void enables premiums to shrink again, just like the nine times before, the article continued, correctly predicting the, <clears throat> the price behavior for the second half of January. This week saw its Ethereum trust. Not stopping right there. That's bullshit. I don't I care about Ethereum. Um... Yeah, so apparently what's going to happen is that tomorrow when the unlock occurs, 
people are going to have to be able to take a distribution out of the profits that they made over January, which were probably quite large. And many of them are going to sink it right back into GBTC, which means that Grayscale is going to have to buy more Bitcoin. That's essentially what they're saying there. And finally, the SEC charges three of stealing $11.4 million through a token backed by actor Steven Seagal. Remember Bitcoin with two eyes? Yeah, I do. I remember Bitcoin with two eyes. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission on Monday charged three associates of defunct crypto firm Bitcoin2Gen with defrauding investors of $11.4 million through the 2018 B2G token offering infamously peddled by actor Steven Seagal, uh, Bitcoin2Gen, and Start Options founder Christian Kristak and company promoter John DeMar allegedly violated federal security laws during the 2018 raise with DeMar Associates' Robin Enos aiding and abetting. According to the SEC, DeMar also faces criminal fraud charges in a parallel suit filed on Monday. The trio allegedly promised to deliver Bitcoin to Jen's investors an Ethereum-based token the SEC claims never existed. They allegedly... They allegedly disseminated misleading brochures among 460 investors to whom they'd promised a mineable and tradable digital token, B2G, selling the sham for funds that they never returned. Uh, Bitcoin 2Gen also banked on the blessing of actor Steven Seagal, whom Chris Stack and DeMar, through a pseudonym, trotted out as a brand ambassador instead of a promoter, earning $120,000 to pump B2G. Seagal, who was not named in the Monday suit, settled related charges last February. The charges bring the regulator's ICO crackdown into its second presidential administration. Regulators first began pursuing allegedly fraudulent ICO projects during then-President Trump's administration, but appeared poised to continue that trend under Biden's term. Again, this is all the low-hanging fruit. And guys, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. That's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes, who says, they're building a mirror factory in my town. I could see myself working there. Uh, Right? Bad joke, man. Bad joke. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.